This morning, I'd like to take you back to the story that is recorded in Acts 10 and Acts 11. If you have your Bible, you might want to turn to those passages, Acts 10 and Acts 11. I think many of you will know the story of Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, Cornelius is a centurion of the Italian cohort, we're told, a special division of the Roman army. He's a devout and righteous man. He is a God-fearer. That means not Jewish, but someone who fears the God of the Jews and worships the God of the Jews, a God-fearer. Who knows exactly why Cornelius was attracted to the Jewish faith, to its monotheism, to its ethical standards, and we don't know exactly what drew him, likely the Holy Spirit, perhaps the influence of Jews that lived nearby him. But he was a gentleman who practices the prayers and the liturgy from a distance, couldn't enter the temple proper, couldn't be admitted to the faith, and no moderately observant Jew would ever be caught dead in his house because after all, he is a Gentile and not a Jew. And the law was clear that Jews and Gentiles were not to mix. Or was it the law that was clear? Or was it the tradition that was clear? They're not always exactly the same thing. Tradition was certainly clear about it. Sharing table fellowship with the Gentile was not appropriate for any of the Jews. So when Cornelius, according to Acts chapter 10, has a vision saying, send for Peter to come to your house, he has to be surprised. But since he's on the Gentile side of this equation, he doesn't have any qualms about obeying the vision, but I'm confident he wondered if Peter the Jew would actually come. Right? There's no reason a Gentile couldn't invite a Jew in, but he might wonder, will the Jew actually come in my house or not? It's a fair question. And I suspect that short of the direct intervention of God, Peter would not have gone. But Peter is given a vision three times. We know to this day that Jews don't eat certain meat. And in the vision, Peter sees a sheet let down, filled with unclean animals, and the voice says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter recoils from the instructions, and the voice says, do not declare unclean that which I have made clean. Seeing the vision once apparently is not enough for Peter. Perhaps it took three times for Peter to figure out that this wasn't an ordinary vision or an ordinary dream. And interestingly, just as the third vision ends, the men Cornelius sent to get Peter arrive. Peter puts two and two together, and he goes with the men. And Peter preaches to Cornelius and his household. And the Holy Spirit is given to Cornelius and his whole household. And Peter is amazed. 
He's flabbergasted. He can't believe that the Holy Spirit right in front of his eyes has been given to the Gentiles. He never expected it. He never saw it coming. And I want to know why. Why is he so amazed? Why is it that he couldn't see this coming? The same gift promised to the disciples and the followers of Jesus has been given to the Gentiles. Why is it so shocking? I mean, all of Jewish history seemed to be about keeping ourselves free from the Gentile contagion. And now something has changed, something new has happened. Well, how new is it really? I mean, there had been plenty of hints that this is how it ought to be before. You remember the story of the woman at the well, right? Samaritan woman. You remember the story of the previous centurion that Jesus encountered, who had the sick servant that Jesus heals, and Jesus says, wow, I haven't even encountered such great faith among any of the Jews as this centurion has. You remember the woman who asked Jesus to heal her daughter, and Jesus says, I'm here for the Jews, and she says, aren't even the dogs allowed to get some of the crumbs from the master's table? The borders of the faith have been expanding bit by bit. And this interaction between Peter and Cornelius is, is bound to create some tension in the church of its day. And the tension that it causes is recorded in Acts chapter 11. So all of that was what happened in Acts chapter 10. And it's interesting that the whole thing is recounted again in Acts chapter 11, just so that we can understand all the tension in the church that this caused. This is Acts 11, verse one. Hear the word of the Lord. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Can you see their fingers wagging? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the kingdom of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I had a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from, from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and said, send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all of your household will be saved. As I began to speak, 
the Holy Spirit came upon them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it takes a full explanation, meeting with the elders to get to the place where they finally say, no further objections. And I've, I have to tell you why I find this so interesting. I don't really understand why there were objections to begin with. Granted, I know the traditions were so powerful. And I know that people had organized their lives all around the traditions. But the mission of God, articulated through Abraham, has always been to bless all the nations of the world through his people. It's always been about blessing all the world. I won't take the time to articulate all the instances where this mission to the nations is highlighted in scripture. Even the Old Testament monarchy was designed or permitted to operate in a way that through Israel, all the surrounding nations would be blessed by God. I think it's important to know that if you take the Greek word that's translated Gentiles, it doesn't mean just Gentiles. It can also, same word, be translated nations. Gentiles, nations, same word. Translators use the word Gentiles when they think that the context indicates populations that don't include Jews. And when they think the context includes all people, including Jews, they use the word Nations, so they translate it differently based on the context. But those are just context clues. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the nations. It's for the nations, Jews included. We know that from Jesus himself, right? The mission of the disciples was to go into all the world, to the nations, to baptize, to teach, so that all can be Come followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. So why are we so surprised that the Holy Spirit is given to those to whom Jesus sent us to speak, to baptize, and to teach? And the reason we're surprised about it, the reason these Jews are surprised about it, is there's a tradition in place. The tradition kept the Jews separated into tribal factions. We're family everyone else's enemy. We must protect our purity. We are the inheritors of the tradition of the elders. We must keep ourselves pure. Now, I don't mean to laugh at that tradition. I understand the importance of wisdom, tradition, and the difficulty of associating folks with folks who are unlike us. The Bible also says bad company corrupts character. So it is wise to pursue virtue. It is wise to avoid 
constant association with folks who do evil. This is especially true when we're raising our children. When a foundation is being built, you want the right environment for building a foundation. But never forget, the right environment must include some sense of the mission of God and his purpose for believers. And his mission and purpose was never for us to stay in a holy huddle by ourselves. The foundation must include mission. We exist to bring the blessing of God to the nations. In an earlier time, in a time when these particular stories are being written and, and recorded for us, the nations, that phrase sort of meant tribal groups with different gods. Different gods translated to different values, different practices, different traditions. But if you try to take that concept of nations that was true in Peter's day and move it to our day, it's not the same thing at all. Today, the nations are mixing. Some barriers are falling away. But new barriers replace those old barriers all the time. And new people bring with them new gods. They might not have literal idols for worshiping, but there are gods present in these groups nonetheless. For some hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure, whatever it means, is the God. For some freedom, even absolute libertarianism, is the God. For some folks, protecting the American way of life is their God. For some, doing what comes naturally is their God. For some, fortune, fame, and influence are their gods. There are all kinds of rival gods to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. I can't even begin to articulate all the different gods that exist today and the different types of groups that are following these different kinds of gods. But here's what's important. From the nations then to all these various groups today, our God is sending us to all of them. Regardless, we're being sent to all of them, to the nations, to the groups, to the tribes, whatever it is, we are sent. We are the followers of Christ who are on mission to bring the good news of gospel and the blessing of God to the world. We are to go forth as a blessing. When it is clear that God is moving and calling to people, people from different tribes or different groups, who are we to say that God can't go there and God can't do that? Why would we expect that he won't reach out to that group of people or, or this group that's not like us? This is really complicated. It's an easy thing to say God loves all and is for everyone. But we know that there are folks out there who are enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know there are folks that we have to be careful around, but we must always remember God doesn't love them less, but he invites us to apply wisdom, especially when we're building foundations. 
If we're going to navigate our way through that, of perceiving when we're being sent and when we must be careful, we will absolutely need the leadership of the Holy Spirit in us. Because he is the one who sends, he is the one who awakens, he is the one whose lead we follow when we speak of Christ to others. Let me try to give you a contemporary example of how important it is to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit just in common everyday kinds of decisions. We tell our young folks that they really should date Christians. We tell our Christian young folks, you should date Christians. Well, why is that? Well, it helps you avoid pain. I remember, I don't wanna say how many years ago in my first pastorate, I talked to an older woman in the little town and she was describing to me the anxiety in the town when she, an Episcopalian, married her husband, a Catholic. Because it just wasn't done. Our, our lives were different. It caused too much anxiety. There was too much strife in the family. Their parents were furious with them. Why would they leave their own tribe? Why wouldn't they just find a nice Episcopalian guy? I mean, all that anxiety. And looking back on that, we know there were strong traditions involved. We know it's not too many centuries ago, the two were fighting and shooting at each other in Europe. So we know how strong the traditions were, but, but the reality from our perspective today is that, hey, you're both Christian. It ought to be okay, right? I mean, from our day, we look back the, at, and say, well, what was the big deal about that? I mean, the Episcopalians and the Catholics are almost the same thing, it seems like. And... The traditions prohibit some things and enable some things. And from our perspective, looking back now, from our perspective where things like denominational loyalty matter a lot less, we wouldn't have any trouble with those two getting together. And yet, how much difficulty would it be when a Christian decides to marry a non-Christian? Now we have some scripture that talks about not being unequally yoked, okay? About finding a partner in the same uh, system that you're in, I'll, I'll say. And what kind of anxiety and difficulty arises in that kind of a situation when your values are going to be different? When the way you spend your Sundays is going to be different? when the way you want to invest your resources are going to be different, when the way you want to spend your time is going to be different, when the way you want to raise your children together is going to be different. You have, you've created a, an, an uneven, unbalanced foundation that is going to breathe pain into the relationship all your lives. Let's face it, marriage is difficult enough without pulling in two completely opposite directions. And to add to that the pain of falling in love with someone who doesn't embrace your value system at all, well, I think the Holy Spirit would have given us some wisdom along the lines 
and warned us of the situation we're getting into. Helping us to understand who we need to be if we're going to be an ambassador of Christ and how that impacts who we marry so that I can continue to live out the relationship with Christ that I have. Now, some of you have said to me occasionally, well, I thought I would date him and then help him become a Christian. That's a lousy evangelism plan. I mean, we don't date folks to change them, right? We have to accept folks as they are, pray for them, but friends, the Holy Spirit has got to be our guide. And if we're going to actually fulfill the mission for what we're created for, we've got to make paying attention to the leadership of the Spirit central to who we are. Otherwise, in all these various situations, we will not be able to discern the way forward. Dating is just one reflection of that. How we spend our cash. The Spirit has an opinion about that. How we invest our time. The Spirit has an opinion about that. And do you know what the, the Spirit's opinion is? Well, you won't until you ask Him. And that's why we're involved in pursuing the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why, that's why the Spirit must live in us. That's why we need solid foundations in Christian homes so that we can discern what the Spirit is saying, so that we can follow the lead of the Spirit into all the nations, groups, tribes, whatever affiliation is around us, from a platform of strength anchored in the Holy Spirit in order to express His love. Because I guarantee you, unless you are filled by the Spirit, you default to tradition. And tradition doesn't necessarily help us. Unless you are led by the Spirit, you'll find it very easy to not love others. The Spirit wants to use us to love others appropriately and bring this gospel message to their lives so that we can be a light to the nations, a light to those who are around us. It takes a strong foundation in us, enabled by the Spirit whom we seek, so that we can know how to step forward with grace and kindness in ways that are consistent with the passion of Christ for all of his creation, in ways that are loving and kind and good. Our job as Christians is to bring the light of Christ the nations. Jesus says to his followers at the very beginning of Acts, go back to Jerusalem and wait there until you receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Spirit, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Jesus' commands to his disciples are very clear. Wait. Don't go out trying to do this on yourself. Don't rely on the traditions. Don't let them, don't tell them what you know. Wait for the Spirit. Wait for Him. And when the Spirit comes, then you will be enabled to do this job. It's not your job to figure out how to do this. 
It's not your job to to write the perfect words that are going to convince every atheist you know that they ought to follow Christ. That's not your job. Your job is to pursue and wait for the Holy Spirit because he is the divine enablement of God for us. And he is the one who directs the mission and promises to give us the words we need when we're told to make a defense for ourselves, right? He's gonna give us the words. He's gonna give us the target. He's gonna give us the method if we pursue him. And if we pursue him, then our words will be loving, our words will be appropriate, our words will be apropos at exactly the right time because we trust him to do it rather than getting all messed up ourselves. That's why Pentecost is so important. We must have the Holy Spirit. We must have the Holy Spirit in us if we are going to be any use to God at all. I say to the church board at the beginning of each of our sessions, well, each year as we're organizing, um, we don't really need your opinions. We need you to pray and listen for the voice of the Spirit and then for us to discern together what the Spirit's saying, right? Because what are my opinions worth? You know, like, Nothing. But if we will listen together for the voice of the Spirit and trust him to lead us, the mission will be his and it will be carried out according to his will, according to his purpose, according to his method. That's what the world needs. Spirit-enabled Christians who can love them by the direction of the Spirit. Will you allow the Spirit Spirit to capture your heart, to invade your life? Will you wait for his coming? Will you pursue him? Will you say, Spirit, fill me anew? Will you fill me, Holy Spirit, so that I can be of use to you? I understand the passage that says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I know the passage that tells us we can cast our cares on him. I get that. That will always be a function of our Christianity because we're human and we're weak and he knows that we're just flesh. But at some point or another, we have got to get past our deficiencies to the place of usefulness in the kingdom. And that point is when we actually lay it all down before him and say, Holy Spirit, help me to respond as you would respond. Help me to go as you would go. Give me your heart. Give me your vision. Use me in your world to be the light of Christ. Get me past my ailments and my infirmities to a place of strength in you, to a place of witness for you, to a place of light for you so that I can be useful in the kingdom. It's my heart's prayer that as a church we will be so in step with the Holy Spirit that we will be known as a people who have spent time with God, who have pursued his spirit and reflect his love consistently and actively to the community around us. That's who we need to be. 
That's the point of knitting the fellowship together, that together with one voice, we can reflect the glory of God and his love for all the nations that are around us. Will you pursue the Spirit in these days? Will you wait for the Spirit? Wait in prayer, wait in meditation, wait in the Word while you invite the Spirit to fill you fresh, fill you in new ways, fill you completely so that you can be His ambassador to the nations. We're gonna sing a song in closing, Teach Me Your Way, O Lord. While we're singing this, I would just invite you to sing along if you like, or if you want to close your eyes in prayer, if you wanna kneel at this altar while we're singing and pray and invite the Spirit to come again. The joy of, of the Holy Spirit is He doesn't need to wait till Pentecost, right? He doesn't need to wait till Pentecost. He comes as He chooses and as we're open to Him. And so I would invite you to open your hearts to him and say, Spirit, give me more of you today. Help me discern how to follow you moment by moment. Let's stand together while we sing. We'll sing all four verses. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. Your guiding grace afford. Teach me your way. Help me to walk aright. More by faith, less by sight. Lead me with heavenly light. Teach me your way. When I am sad at heart, teach me your way. When earthly joys depart, teach me your way. In hours of loneliness, in times of dire distress, in failure or success, teach me your way. When doubts and fears arise, teach me your way. When storms o'erspread the skies, teach me your way. Shine through the cloud and rain, through sorrow, toil, and pain. Make thou my pathway plain, teach me your way. As my life shall last, teach me your way. Where'er my lot be cast, teach me your way. Until the race is run, until the journey's done, until the crown is won, teach me your way. Pray with me.
this morning. Holy Spirit, our hearts are open before you, and we ask that you would fill them anew and afresh. Pour out your Spirit on us again. We wait for you now, Lord. And we ask that you would fill us with your love for the nations, that you would fill us with your love for one another, that you'd speak to us about the condition of our own lives and the foundations that we've constructed. And if there are changes that must be made, if there are new things that must be embraced, Holy Spirit, show us. We don't want to have any objections when you speak and call us to a new thing. We want to be quick to be in step with you, Spirit, to do all you call us to do. We want to be useful to you. You've done so much for us. You've brought us into your kingdom. You've made us new creatures in Christ. You've given us all things. And Lord, we want to respond in some way that's meaningful. So fill us and teach us and use us to your glory. Lord, if we haven't been paying attention, poke us. If we've been off on our own tangent, drag us back. If we were convinced that we were right the way we were, wake us up. Show us your way. And fill us again. We pray this way, Lord, because we love you. And we ask for your help. We've asked these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. May you be so filled with the Spirit that the love of God flows through you to everyone you meet, to the glory of God now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.